Good late afternoon, everyone. It's Dr. Nigro again, our next episode of Psychology Unplugged. Thanks to so many uh, followers, uh, feedbacks, comments, uh, support. Uh, truly appreciate that we've reached uh, a global audience. Uh, Julie and I uh, do our best every week to try to impart whatever knowledge and wisdom that we have. Uh, I always say that we are perpetual students in a very large and somewhat murky world of psychology, psychiatry, psychopathology. Um, thanks everybody who's starting to follow us on Instagram. Uh, I'm slowly figuring it out. Uh, I just need to figure out a way for people who leave comments and how to respond to them. That, that, that's my next task. Um, so anyhow, uh, this is a topic that somebody recently requested yesterday after a post I did on Instagram, uh, more about the art of diagnostics. And uh, given that that's what I primarily do as a neuropsychologist, uh, I think this is relative to, we have a, a big following of, of professionals in the mental health field, uh, even in the medical field, and just a lot of people who are dealing with people with mental health um, issues when it you know a family member a partner uh, a colleague whatnot so hopefully um you know some of this will give shed some light on things to possibly look for now doing neuropsych evals is a very formal process even though i tend to be much more unconventional in my style from the way i dress to the way i interact because you have to be able to relate to somebody in order for anybody to tell you their story. Whether you are a medical professional or whether you are just a friend or a colleague, you have to be approachable. And there, you know, there is a science to the actual testing in and of itself. They're norm-based assessments, normed on, you know, thousands and tens of thousands of people that have great validity and reliability. Uh, you know, these, these aren't Google tests that you go online that sometimes people will walk in with and say, oh, I checked these three boxes off so they think I have bipolar. No, um, at least the testing I use is kind of the, the gold standard of testing, whether it's the neuropsych piece or the psych and psychopathology piece. So in terms of the art of diagnostics, uh, body language is a crucial piece in, in that, you know, the art of diagnostics. Um, watching, from my perspective, watching, not only asking the question, but watching how people respond to questions can be very, very telling and indicative. And you could take this from a clinical, I'm going to stick with a clinical setting, but just realize you can also extrapolate it to a non-clinical setting, having a conversation with your child about something that they may may have done. Um, so a good example is if I'm asking somebody, um, you know, about any history of abuse that, they, that they've sustained uh, as, a, as a child, and you start to see some the, the the words that come out of the mouth don't always are not commensurate with the body language. So if I'm asking a child and the parents are in the room, I'm going to ask the question. I'm just going to go with the answer they're giving me. You know, say maybe like a teenager, but I'm going to make a little note that, all right, I need to revisit this when mom and dad are out of the room. So body language is really important, as is eye contact, when, when you're asking somebody specific questions. Um, suicide, self-injurious behaviors, homicidal thoughts. Uh, those are, you know, the more dangerous behaviors, more high-risk behaviors. So when you're assessing... 
you know, particular for, for bipolarity, borderline personality, um, you know, body language can be incredibly important in terms of what is the individual willing to talk about. And some people could be overly animated and in, very engaged in terms of wanting to tell your story, which is diagnostic in and of itself. Or why are you so emphatically describing in such precise detail how you cut yourself or how methodical your suicidal ideations were? And some people try to impress you. Some people, I think, are just being articulate and telling their stories but, you know, it's it's something to take note in what the individual is responding to behaviorally, uh, tone of voice, intonation, inflection, very, very important things. Does it stay the same? Does it ebb and flow? Is there pressured speech? Not, not necessarily pressured speech in the sense of, of you know, in, in bipolarity, you'll have racing thoughts and pressured, pressured speech. But pressured speech can also be indicative of, of anxiety or, uh, oh, thank God you asked me this question that's been on my mind for such a long time. Finally, somebody understands me. You know, so pressured speech is like, I got I to get this off of mind. I, I have to tell you this. You know, I, I, have, a, I have incredible anxiety about this. My mind, my, my mind won't shut. That's, that's pressured speech. Um, so, again, body language, really, really important as you're navigating, um, you know, the, the different questions. Um <clears throat> So even like, you know, a parent, you know, they may notice an innocuous credit card charge and they ask their teenage son or daughter, like, do you know anything about this? Uh, no. And, you know, Amazon packages are arriving that nobody in the family, mom and dad, haven't ordered. Um, this is an all too common occurrence that I experience with adolescents. So parents beware. Um so other other artful things is um, so like back to what I was saying like so sometimes when you're noticing them work with like children adolescents adolescents for the most part um, when when the parents leave the room I would go back and be, all right come on I saw you, you you've never tried any substances well yeah I've, you know I've, I've smoked you know I vape or I, I you know, try nicotine or, you know, adolescents talk and even adults talk. So a lot of times, um, something I love doing is once I get to, like through the neural piece and I'm having people do a lot of the individual rating scales, they're so involved in those. This is before I get to the MMPI and the Rorschach and the TAT and the neuro, neuro behaviorally Val. During that time is when I'll just start asking random questions because they're focused on the questions that they're, they're answering. But that's when people talk. That's when they'll start to open up, especially adolescents. If you like, like, like therapeutic mentors, I always tell them you know, these are ones that take kids out in the community, you know, that maybe the kid's a little reticent, a little hesitant. I said to get them playing basketball or something and just talk about, talk about basketball. And then you slide into a clinical question. Their guard is down. And they're much more likely to engage and give you an answer, and without even realizing that that you're you're not fooling them, but you're just creating a space that doesn't seem directly confrontational. And I don't mean confrontational in the sense of being you know combative, but confrontational in the sense of that you're really trying to probe for answers about something that you might think be going on. Um, you know, in terms of you know other artful things is. Uh, I guess this is more of a clinical technique. Um, you know, like the incomplete sentence blanks uh, are a really good tool. And um, 
uh, Roder has the incomplete sentence blanks, but I but sometimes depending on the clinical question, I will add questions. And what the sentence blanks are is you're generally starting with a sentence, uh, a sentence stem. I am blank. Uh, morning time is when um, my father is. And there's a standard set. There's an adolescent version and uh, a child and uh, no, there's an adult version and a child and adolescent version. So, but what I found to be very helpful is depending on the diagnostic picture, um, somebody may not want to verbalize it or or be able to verbalize it, but I will add other questions in relative to what I think possibly might be diagnostic. So, somebody is is not going to tell me a lot about their self injury. So. What I would maybe I would add what cutting means to me is, um, you know, at night my 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 worst fear is and it's really it's 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 a, a great technique that he came up with because it's really kind of a way to circumvent the psyche in terms of being able to go through almost like a backdoor approach because you know it, it, and I tell people don't 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 give me one one two word answers you get to write out a full sentence it's also good for assessing for dyslexia <laughs> for dysgraphia so there's some other little tricks and and tools uh, that's just a function of my education and and just years years of training so uh, let's see what are some other creative artful things um, uh, the, again, like I said, the relationship is really important. Um, now, not everybody does diagnostics, um, but even from a therapeutic standpoint, you know, as, you're, as most most therapists and, and prescribers collect a background. Uh, I tell people mine is like thirty six pages. And I have to ask questions in a very specific way. And I can't explain how my mind works, but it does. And I tell people, it's through asking the questions and, and watching how you answer the questions gives me a good picture of what I think is going on diagnostically. So I'm basically taking the entire DSM-5 and reducing it down to two, three, four, maybe five potential diagnoses. And I've done that since I got out of my doctoral program. And I do the testing and see how close I am. Um, so, you know, the art of diagnostics is really, it, there is an art to it because you have to know how to communicate. You know, if, if you get a, you know, with an adolescent, hey, how's school going? You know, before you get to anything deep, um, you know, I'm trying to parse this out because what I do is that my, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like one and done. I'm testing in one session uh, for several hours, then I'm having the person come back in several weeks to get to go over the results, which is different than therapy. But I can tell you, like, the few people I see for therapy um, and people I have seen, you know, uh, for example, trauma. Uh, when you get in that back, that intake, I think a lot of clinicians, they, 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 they have a history of, like, sexual trauma or a lot of times sexual trauma seems to be one of the more co uh, common ones. A lot of clinicians will go right towards that, even though the person is complaining of being depressed or anxious or, or you know, not to say surface level symptoms, but more like more the the common colds and mental illness, depression, and anxiety. And I think it's really important, like with trauma work. Trauma work is 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 really when that person is ready. And I have worked with people, and, and I knew the trauma was there. But if I would have, and, and as you see this with a lot of new clinicians, like oh, they have sexual trauma, so that's why they're that's why they're doing this. And again, you come out of school and you're eager and you want to use all these fancy terms and terminology. And I think we, we've all been there. Uh, but if you could talk in a way that relates to the uh, uh, 
infrastructure of the person. And because I, I'm so non-conventional, people don't expect to see somebody with my degree in jeans and motorcycle boots and tattoos and piercings. And I think, you know, that, that's just who I am. I, I, don't, I don't put on a role, but I think it does create uh, a different notion if you picture what a psychologist or neuropsychologist is, is somebody in, you know, a suit, which you're never going to catch me in, uh, or dark rim glasses, Occasionally, I'll wear my glasses, but not all the time. Um, so I think that works to my advantage as that art piece because you're not expecting it. So like, oh, and for those of you guys who've seen my office, um, you know, on Instagram, it's not what you would think someone with my education degree would have with a Peloton and, and guitars and autographed Springsteen pictures and, and a TV on the wall and a, and a metal desk and restoration hardware. And, I, and that, that to me is part of the art of it. It's creating something that, that, that goes against almost like, almost like myself being an outlier uh, on purpose as a way to be, hmm, not what I expected. This is kind of different. And I've, I can tell you, this is not an ego thing, but for the, for the vast majority of people, and I can't, one can't come to mind that I haven't been able to really connect with. Again, you're going to get every once in a while that oppositional defined kid or the disruptive mood dysregulation disorder kid who does not want to be there, whose parents are dragging them in and they're in desperate need of help. But, you know, I, I'll tell them, I, I could test them, but I would have no confidence in the results whatsoever. That happens very few and far between. The vast majority of people, even uh, adults and adolescents, and, and, and to, to some extent children to the degree that they can understand, they, they are honest, they are genuine, they are forthright, um, uh, and they, they want answers. And I always tell people, testing can t figure out the what. It can't always figure out the why. It can give you some theories and hypotheses, but that's what that's what therapy is designed to do, is, is take the take this 60, 70 page, 80 page report that I give you and be able to really extrapolate the symptoms um how they manifest to a specific person. But the, the huge art in, in working with people is to be able to connect with them and to be able to relate to them and to be able to get to their level and, and, and be somebody that they, that they feel that they can open up and be totally honest because you can only work with what somebody is giving you. Um, and like I said, from my experience, the vast majority of people are looking for help. Uh, I can't speak to how other people do their their interviews or, or their background information. I know Julie's really good at, at at doing hers. You know, we're asking a lot of similar questions, but very you know some of more different questions because my job is to figure out. What is the, you know, the, the, the neurocognitive, neurodevelopmental, or the psychiatric diagnosis? You know, whereas Julie's job is, is to manage it from a, psych from a pharmacological level, but she also has a strong therapy background and incorporates that into it. And, and, and her skill set, uh, you know, we're very different in how we practice, but I think it, it works because we know how to read people and know what different people need. And sometimes people do need a come to Jesus talk, even in a neuropsych eval. Like, knock it off. Answer the question. Sometimes you got you have to be like that, but there's a reality to it and a transparency to it, as opposed to what's your date of birth? Are you right-handed or left-handed? What town do you live in? What is your family history? I mean, how boring is that? It's not going to engage anybody. So the art is really, and again, if you're a friend, if you're a colleague, or if you know you're a parent, you know you have to give a sense of genuineness and 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 and. Uh, 
being in tune to, to how the person's reacting, pay attention to body language, pay attention to the changes in tone and voice. Again, this is the art. This is the stuff they don't really teach you in school. Um, I think they allude to it, may make um, some, you know, commas to it. But, you know, this is a lot of stuff we have to figure out on our own. And we all bring our own individual personalities into our, our roles as, as healthcare uh, and medical professionals. And because psychiatry and psychology have such a human component to it versus like, you know, going to your primary care for your physical. I mean, yeah, okay, hey, how you doing? And you're, you know, you're out in 10 minutes. This is a very different relationship and one where people are really uh, you giving you a very privileged insight into you know their strengths their weaknesses uh their 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 bad habits their their addictions their their you know the, their darker sides and um and, and entrusting you with that and, and and that's a very precious thing if you are in the field that if somebody's giving you that honor it respect it and protect it but also don't be afraid to push people you i can tell you people are more resilient than you you can imagine um, and another thing is always err on the side of caution. You know, I tell people you can, you know, especially when it comes to suicide, you can say that you're suicidal only if you are suicidal. If you're not, you're not allowed to say it because always, always, always err on the side of caution. If, if, if you, your parent and your child is talking about suicide, uh, if you're a healthcare professional and your patient is talking about suicide, pay, people I can tell if you're a parent, especially, Parents can deal with an angry kid who, if they get hospitalized, they can't deal with a dead kid. Now, I've seen enough of this that this is, trust me on this. Um, so again, back to the whole art of diagnostics, it really, you know, the, the, the testing itself, that's the science. The scoring of the Rorschach, the scoring of the MMPI, the scoring of all the neuropsychological assessments, that, that's, that's the science of it. But the art is really the relationship and the questions, and like I said, with the, the incomplete sentence blanks, add different questions in there. Interweave different things. It's amazing what you're going to be able to get out of it from other people. Um, but I thought this was a great topic that, that somebody has suggested because, uh, you know, again, from talking with so many people and realizing how many people, um, you know, have asked me, well, how do I talk to my kid about this? And how do I talk to my husband about this? And how do I talk to, uh, I always say one of the, one of the best techniques is, uh, what I call the Columbo technique. I mentioned this in an episode maybe a year ago. If, if, if you, if you, if you ever saw the old TV show Columbo with Peter Falk, you'll get what I'm talking about. He's an amazing detective, always solved the cases, but I think it's because the the show is supposed to always solve the cases, but he always asks questions in a way like, eh, just something just doesn't make sense. It's almost like playing dumb in a way for the person to be like, what don't you get? And, 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 and he was always invariably able to get people to give him the answers he was looking for and self-incriminate themselves. So... You know, working with people is a fun, fascinating, privileged time. Uh, I do it six, sometimes seven days a week. I think this 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 week is like seven, two to three neuropsych valves a day. Uh, it's it's a it's an absolute privilege to work with people with a, such a diverse population, uh, especially talking with people from so many different parts of the globe. And uh, it's it's truly a pleasure to do this. Um, 
podcast and to do the work that I do on a daily basis. So hopefully you got some tips and some tricks out of this that might be helpful. Um, again, there definitely is an art to uh, the whole field of psychology. Uh, you know, people are interesting, people are mysterious, people are multifaceted. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, people generally who are who are seeking treatment, they want to get better, they want help, and sometimes you have to ask tough questions. And sometimes you have to hold off on, on pushing different questions to when you believe that that relationship you have with somebody is strong enough that, you know, maybe I held off on this, but now I'm going to ask you this question. Again, that's the art combined with the science of it. So until next time, uh, feel free to reach out to me uh, through Instagram at psychology underscore unplugged underscore. Uh, and contact me directly through psychology today. You can contact me uh through, uh, through psychology unplugged at outlook.com or contact me directly. Uh, my number is 617 750 9411, East Coast Standard Time. Uh, again, much gratitude from Julie and I for uh, allowing us to come into your lives and to be uh, a help and, and an inspiration and a motivating factor, uh, an educating factor, a guiding factor, and uh, really appreciate it uh, from the bottom of our hearts. Until next week, take care of yourselves, take care of each other. Be well, guys. Bye.